and welcome back to another episode of the Mumbrella Cast. I'm Callum Jaspin, and today three more companies present their upfront offerings for the coming year in attempts to lure more advertisers into their ecosystems. Then you'll hear from The Guardian Australia's editor of audio and visual, Gabrielle Jackson, about its ongoing podcast strategy as well as the launch of its new special podcast series, Ben Robert Smith versus the Media. And finally, former Nine exec and now CEO of social media company We Are Eight in Australia, Lizzie Young joins the podcast where you'll hear her talk about the local launch, the plan to attract users to the platform, why it may not be for some people and brands and why that's okay, and going for dinner with Rio Ferdinand. Joining me today once again is Acting Managing Editor Andrew Banks. Hey Banks, are you looking very rugged up there? Yes, it's 15 degrees and I'm feeling every degree of it. <laughs> and acting deputy Emma Shepherd. Hey, Em, you're uh, preparing to jet off over the um, the Tasman, that's right? I am indeed for a wedding in Queenstown and it's currently snowing, so I think the weather in Sydney is getting me prepared for the cold weather over there. Very envious of you getting out the country, Em. Uh, looking forward to hearing how that goes. Um... Right, Upfronts. Uh, we are deep, deep in Upfronts season with three all being hosted on Tuesday this week. Um, you can hear the Upfronts special interview with Paramount's Rod Prosser and Dan Mulligan in your feeds if you want to hear more about that, which was released on Tuesday. I was at the Car Sales Open House here in Melbourne um, on Tuesday. M, you were at Amazon Prime's event while uh, Mamma Mia also hosted in Sydney as well. Let's begin, though, with Amazon Prime. Um, and you mentioned you felt like they were kind of holding a few things back. What, what did actually come out of that presentation? I found it hard to cover this showcase, uh, unlike Seven, Nine, et cetera, which is really salesy uh, and really good for media buyers. Uh, Prime Video Australia really focused just on their local content. They didn't have a lot of a commercial kind of offering. So it was a bit tricky. But after speaking with Amazon Prime Video Australia Chief Exec Hashida Karas last night, uh, I found the biggest news to come out of the chat was off the back of their successful broadcast of the 2022 Australian Age Swimming Championships earlier this year. Um, you know, it seemed that uh, there was definitely interest in perhaps expanding the platform's sports offering a little more uh, in 2023. Uh, their customers really responded well to the swimming. So there could be a few more sporting uh, events or even codes or documentaries or content in general that's sport based on the platform. Also probing him on the Olympics rights, there is still up for grabs, both free to air and SVOD. Uh, he didn't say he was disinterested. He said that if they had anything to comment, uh, that, that they, they'd get back to us. So we'll see. I mean, they they could potentially be in the running to take the SVOD rights for the Olympics. Yeah, we have um, seen rumours previously of Amazon making a play for those rights globally. Um, that certainly, I guess, have the capability to do so. And we, uh, you know, you mentioned there um, a few um, potential further entries into the, the local streaming market, which is Amazon, I guess, of the, the streamers that are in play um, have not really done so far. They do dabble in sports overseas, a couple of smaller rights deals for the Premier League in both America and the UK. Um, I guess the question that we are all getting a little bit sick of at this point, and it's you know likely one that we're not going to hear the end of, 
Um, any mention of an ad tier coming out of that um, presentation? And did you press them on that? I definitely pressed them on that. Caress was quite clear that the service is absolutely not going to be having, um, you know, an ad supported tier. However, if you look at Netflix and what their global CEO, Reed Hastings, said, you know, a year or so ago that he was determined not to have ads at all. And then six months later, he was very much all about having an ad supported tier on the platform. So you just don't know, who knows what's going to happen. But at this stage, he's very, very clear that he wants it to be a local content premium service for an affordable price uh, with no ads at this stage. The conversation has, I guess, been um, centered around that. And we, we discussed um, numbers, I think, last week, Banks and you and I, across those different um, streaming platforms. You do, you do feel as though um, that might be a way forward for some of those players that are the, the lower end in the, um, the subscription battle to sort of differentiate themselves at some point. So as you say, um, um, definitely probably one that we're not ruling out. It'll be interesting to see where that goes there. Um, Sticking with you, Banksy, um, Mamma Mia's Upfronts looked like they're venturing into the world of podcasting. Is that right? That's right. I mean, they they do have a suite available that looks like they're really ramping it up. Um, We sent uh, our newly minted Mumbrella reporter Darcy Song there, um, and she was joined by managing editor Olivia Crimmel at the Upfront. What came out of it, I guess, for for the – the boots on the ground were, were the interesting numbers that were being thrown around. Uh, Seven million monthly subscribers, which seems uh, quite quite big. Uh, paid subscribers around the five-digit mark, which is, which is very healthy. Um, I, I guess from the point of view of the podcasts and what is becoming available, they're kind of branching into – more bespoke podcasts as well, which would allow for more um, advertising in those areas. Uh, I think from the point of view of having too many podcasts, I think Darcy did ask the question, um, would that fragment the audience? And uh, Rob Farmer pretty much, the group director pretty much responded that, you know, with them being a super channel brand now, um, it doesn't really matter what touch point you come in on your, you know, they have such a brand now that they're able to draw in that audience from all different elements and angles. Um, I think one thing that Darcy did say uh, was essentially the, the presentation was done on a screen. I I know a few of our other upfronts have had people uh, present those in person. So it was quite interesting to see Mamma Mia went the, the uh, video route. Um, That's just one, one observation she made. Didn't want to risk any uh any any live mistakes there, so they go into the pre-recorded. <laughs> Possibly. Possibly. Yeah, and uh earlier, Cal, you mentioned that you were at the car sales event in Melbourne. Um it's good to have an event down there for you. What what did you get up to? Yeah, well, um it's interesting. Many people uh, when I've kind of mentioned that car sales were doing an upfront, they um responded with the same line, oh, car sales doing upfront, um, which, which is quite funny. And I think that's sort of the case as we saw, um, Tim Burroughs wrote this morning, it used to be the case that the TV networks were the only ones that would, would really put on an upfront event. But now we're seeing, I guess, so many players from across the, um, across the media industry getting involved, you know, kind of spruiking all the, the data points, as you mentioned there with, um, 
the 7 million uh, users, or 7 million that figure at Mamma Mia. Um, this time, car sales were spruiking their almost 11 million members and um, active audience of about 5 million Australians. Um, data being, again, the big play here, they launched a partnership with Adobe for its people based marketing offering car sales match, which is, um, again, trying to leverage those um, those 5 million monthly users, sort of positioning um, the, the brand as a premium marketing partner for brands and buyers alike. The other two announcements included Fuse, its team of in-house specialists channeling its full funnel execution and its client self-service platform, Ignition. Um, car sales speaking to them following the event yesterday they're sort of really trying to position themselves as offering clients um as effective solutions as you could probably expect from some of those other global um players in the platform space while they did position it as an upfront i don't think or get the impression this will be a um a yearly event as it was sort of the result of a three-year strategy bringing that to life and sort of the result of um I guess uh, having having COVID to to get things in order, um, car sales as as many would know probably the biggest uh, in the auto classifieds market with other players including Cars Guide Drive and Car Expert. Um, so yeah, interesting to see where um, car sales go with this and whether a few of those other classified or traditional classified businesses will look to follow in their footsteps. Um, Still to come in the upfront season, we've got Foxtel next week, which, uh, M, you'll be back for. Uh, yep. Then Seven West Media and Ooh Media the week following, um, and that will um, almost just about round things out. Do you think Mumbrella needs an upfront? Um, I, I, I don't think so, to be honest. Um, I mean, I, as many people think that when you tell them you work for Mumbrella, they think you work for Mamma Mia anyway. I think we could probably... Um, just leave it to them. Yeah. What do you think, Em? Should we go up front? <laughs> no, I changed my mind. <laughs> Too much work. Yeah. <laughs> Coming up next, the Guardian Australia's Gabrielle Jackson on the new Ben Robert Smith podcast. <laughs> Gabrielle Jackson is the audio and visual editor at the Guardian Australia, and she joins me now. Hi, Gabrielle. Welcome, and how are you today? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. Um, so The Guardian is launching the Ben Robert Smith vs. The Media podcast on the Full Story stream next Monday, the 17th of October, documenting what is, uh, I guess, one of the most crazy media and defamation cases in recent memory. Mm. Um Gabrielle, could you start by just telling us a little bit more about the podcast itself and the inception of how that came about? Yeah, the, well, the podcast came about basically because we had Ben Doherty attending court every day for this case and it was just, you know, there was so much interest in this case but it was so complicated and it was really hard to keep up day to day with what was happening. And so we just thought, look, you know, we, we should make a podcast out of this. You know, we have a really great reporting team on our Full Story podcast. They were really interested in it. And so in, rather than doing, you know, bit an episode here and an episode there, we decided to put a whole team behind it and make a series once the court case was done, just to 
give people that insight into what Ben Doherty was seeing by sitting in the court case every day. That, you know, unless you're a journalist, you don't often go and sit in a court and watch what happens and look at all the evidence and hear how witnesses testify. So really what we what, what we want to do is bring the listener inside the, the courtroom and have access to that kind of information. Now, obviously, we can't record in a court in Australia, so we've hired voice actors to play the parts of the main witnesses and their lawyers. And it really brings it to life. Uh, we also have some amazing reenactments of some of the battles that were part of the case. The Battle of Tizak, where Ben Robert Smith won his Victoria Cross, is in the first episode. And the reenactment of that is just so incredible. Like yeah. the first time I listened to it, I was just like, oh, wow, <laughs> I kind of feel like I'm there. It's, it's you know, really being able to visualize things like that. Yeah, it's, I, I mean, I listened to quite a few of the the Guardian podcasts, in particular the audio long read and um, the the UK's today in focus. From I, I started listening when it launched over there in the UK, and I found recently the Guardian's really gone all in on the sort of sound design of the podcasts. Mm. Um, has that how how's that kind of come about? And is that I guess part of the strategy in order to really set apart these Guardian podcasts from I guess. The rest of the field of what is quite congested uh, news media kind of uh, podcast absolutely right from the very beginning when we launched full story we didn't want it just to sound like a radio show or you know like another daily news podcast so we've invested heavily in sound design we have joe coning and camilla hannon in our team here in in sydney and uh, and melbourne um and they're just incredible at what they do. Yes, we do want our podcast to sound different. We do want them to sound beautiful and, um, you know, that just creates a more rich experience for our journalism, basically. And I, I listened to um, the preview of this episode, um, which is available now on the Guardian website. Um, for those who haven't followed the case closely, you did allude to a few of the details there. Can you I guess, give us a little bit more of an idea of what's actually at stake. Yeah, sure. I mean, Ben Robert Smith is Australia's most um, decorated living soldier. And in 2018, the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age published some stories that accused him what he says of war, uh, war crimes, and he strenuously denies it. So he's brought the case to basically defend his reputation. A lot of people have said, you know, this is the trial of the century. It's a proxy war crimes trial. You know, his lawyers are really quick to shut that down and say it, it's none of those things. This is about one man's reputation. And, you know, he has the right to defend his reputation. But in, in listening to all the evidence, you do learn so much about uh, how wars are fought and what people see and go through in that. Um, so, it, you know, it's it's really very much a fair and balanced um, account of that court case. We can't really, you know, veer from what happened yeah. inside the court much. But, yeah, that's the, that's the, the sum of it because, you know, it was serious investigative journalism and Australia's defamation laws do tend to favour the rich and powerful. So for the newspapers, there's so much at stake. You know, they really have thrown a lot of money behind defending their reporting. And Ben Robert Smith has thrown a lot behind defending his reputation with the support of his employer, Channel 7. 
And then I guess more generally for The Guardian, I mentioned a few of those um, UK or more global brands that The Guardian Podcast Network has. Can you speak a little bit about the local strategy around the podcasts here? Absolutely. So Full Story is our flagship project uh, program, and that really is showcasing Guardian Australia's very rich reporting uh, so it's a, that's a daily podcast. We also have Australian Politics, which is for our political junkies, and there mm-hmm. are a lot of them. That's Catherine Murphy. She usually interviews a politician or something, someone in Canberra about what's you know happening around politics. Um, we also have a culture podcast called Book It In. That's um, also we just want to we have a fantastic culture department here at Guardian Australia and that's just that we know we we have a lot of readers who love reading books so it's both we cover both fiction and non-fiction and that's seasonal and that will be out in November and December this year and we also are doing a little full story summer special so for the first couple of weeks of January full story will just be full of like beautiful summer uplifting really lovely stories. And what's the sort of um cross-market strategy look like for the Guardian? You know, you've got obviously those global um, those global podcasts there. How, how, do, how do you leverage that locally? Yeah, well, we, we use Today in Focus when there's a big global story. That, you know, that's a global podcast. So we can really draw on their expertise and use all our correspondents around the world to tell the bigger stories like Russia, what's happening in Russia and Ukraine, um, also, they've done a really great episode on the Iranian protests that are happening at the moment. So it's really great to be able to draw on that expertise. Um, but, you know, it, it, we we really want to distinguish ourselves in Australia as well and distinguish Guardian Australia as a local brand and a brand that's doing fantastic local reporting. And that's why we've branched out with Book It In to kind of showcase our culture um, work and, you know, Full Story covers all all news topics, um, and then we have the politics one as well. Um, and, and then just finally, um, Gabrielle, what, what what sort of ways is um, has the is the Guardian sort of leveraging the podcast content across its other streams? I, I guess on the website, how how, how does that impact the strategy? Um, we like to feel like our podcasts are fully integrated into our journalism. You know, it's just another way of getting our journalism to more people. You know, we often have our um, podcast journalists write print stories off the back of podcast episodes they've made. We have a really great one coming up that started as a written feature that is being turned into a podcast. I wish I could tell you about it, but I can't just yet, sorry. Um, and also we just think that like often we have journalists coming to us saying, we've got this great story, but I really think it's going to work on audio. And we have a discussion with them about how best it could work. And and they really complement each other in such an important way. And, I mean, Ben Robert-Smith versus the media is a great example. Ben Doherty's reporting on that court case was so interesting and so phenomenal, but there are just some things you can't get from print and and the sound, you know, you mentioned the sound design, the sound, listening to the actors' voices, listening to the sounds of battle, just really brings stories to life in a way that you really just can't get in print. So that's just our aim is really to deliver the the great journalism we do in the best format and sometimes stories are best told in audio. Well, thank you very much for joining me, Gabrielle. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me.
Next up, we are at Lizzie Young dials in from London. Lizzie Young, Australian CEO at social media platform We Are Eight. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Callum. Thanks for having me. Nice to have you on, and you're you're joining us from the wee hours in London. Uh, so, how how's that going over there? I understand you arrived yesterday. Yes, I did. Um, been great to be here with the team. Um, so we've got a a team here in London. So good to spend some time with them. Um, continuing sort of work on our launch plans, uh, both in the UK and Australia, um, and then looking at what other markets we're going into. And had the great pleasure of having dinner last night with Rio Ferdinand, who's one of our investors um, and is really active with us. So that was definitely very exciting. Yeah, and we'll um, we'll get on to some of that stuff like um, Rio Ferdinand and I guess uh, similar characters in Australia a bit later on. But I guess starting from the start, um, you left Nine Semi recently after a, a fairly lengthy stint to join this platform, which was founded by Australian entrepreneur uh, Sue Fennessy, for those of who are listening who are unfamiliar. Um, you have kind of documented um, previously how you ended up joining the company. But um, if you could just talk a little bit further, I guess, about what the appeal of joining a, a company like We Are Eight was. I know you've also sort of spoken about um, Facebook and other other big tech social media companies before did that did that play into it at all yeah definitely um as you say i've been on the record of talking about you know the issues with other social media platforms so i felt like this was a real challenge you know like can you literally disrupt the model can you deliver a product um in a social network that would do good in the world and that people would deliver what people want or what their expectation was of social media. So I think the challenge in that was part of, you know, the reason for for moving. Um, and I just loved also the notion of building something from the ground up, um, having worked in corporate, you know, uh, for a long time. That was really, really enticing. Yeah, I mean, you, you've also you've kind of spoken about the um, changing up that cycle of, you know, a dozen years at nine where there is that sort of corporate cycle every year, um, the schedule, breaking that up a little bit. What, what has that sort of looked like in the early days so far, sort of joining a more startup um, approached company? Yeah, it's, and look, both companies are very fast paced and, you know, you do a lot of variety. And I think the, the very, the difference though, when you're very small um, at startup stage is that you can make a decision and you can make it happen really, really quickly. Yeah. And that speed to change and also that speed to go, oh, something's not working and you can quickly change tack. Whereas in a larger corporation with, you know, more heritage, that is somewhat more problematic. Um, so I think that speed um, has been really exciting. And I think that, you know, for people who've done startups before, it gives you energy. And yeah. I think it's really gives that environment where it feels exciting People want to come on board. You know, we've been able to build a great um, launch team in Australia. Um, and I think that's that's due, to, due really to that energy and that ability to really make a difference and really inform every decision that we make. Um, the product is really new. So we've got an app store release that comes out um, imminently, like literally yep. today, tomorrow, with lots of new features. 
and everybody, you know, has the ability to have input into that and talk about, you know, what's working and what we need to build. Um, and then the amazing tech team that we have in Thessaloniki in Greece do exactly that and deliver it. So it's just really cool to be able to be involved um, building it from the ground up. I guess when Sue approached you, um, had you heard of the app at all? And uh, did it sort of seem like based on, uh, as you kind of mentioned there, your your past comments on the record that it seemed almost a bit too good to be true? Yeah. So I'd never heard of the app. I'd actually never heard of Sue Fantasy. Truth be told, we weren't even connected on LinkedIn. You know, sometimes you're connected to people on LinkedIn yeah. just because you've heard of them, but you don't know them. I wasn't even connected on LinkedIn. I didn't know her name, um, which seems ridiculous, actually, since she was the founder of SMI, um, but she'd been out of the country a long time. So I think, um, you know, that was really intriguing. And I loved the proposition from a brand perspective. So when she was talking to me about We Are Eight, eight being the infinite power of people uh, mm-hmm. to come together and have impact and change the world and, and eight, you know, that infinite um, reconnection, I really loved um, and thought it was a, a beautiful sort of sentiment from a brand. So that was the other thing that got me. So onto the um, onto the app itself, um, essentially the number that we are eight is quoting is they want um, brands to redirect 6.5% of their social media ad budgets um, towards we are eight and away from all those other, um, I guess, the, the big apps that would come to mind. First of all, it would be interesting to hear how that number was settled and I guess how that you go about, um, I guess, convincing companies to do that. And I've decided I'm actually going to start saying, you know, that's what we're asking for at the moment. But obviously we have bigger ambitions than that. Um, But the reason we're asking for that to start is that we have a global partnership with a company called Ecology, um, who are a climate solutions provider around the world. And they have done some work with us to establish what it takes to make a social media campaign carbon neutral negative. Yeah. So that 6.5% is based on that methodology. Um, There's lots of methodology around, you know, and that's something the industry is going to have to work on over time to decide if we all agree with um, numbers and calculations. But as I keep saying as well, it's better to be doing something than nothing and we've just got to get going. So the six and a half is based on that. I'd love it to be more um, over time. And that is definitely our ambition is for brands to want to to spend more with us. Um, I also think it's a number that felt to me like it was a fair ask you know we've been really transparent that we are building from you know a standing side of zero effectively but you know everybody basically has 10 percent of their social spend for test and learn so we're not even asking for all of that and I think the other thing that I feel like it's a it's a good starting point is there's no waste in it because we only charge on fully completed video views so if you give us that six and a half percent you know you're getting an eyeball at yep. the other end, and we're not charging you until you do. So I feel like we've mitigated risk for brands on that number as well. And I guess has that helped in terms of the the actual uptake? I, I mean, I read that um, with that, uh, as you say, the eyeballs, it's about 30 times what you would get on Facebook. Um, are you having, I guess, much success with media buyers on that front? I think... Um, Look, we've had great support from the industry, uh, from from brands, marketing departments, as well as um, agencies. Um, I think everybody 
is always looking for new and interesting ways to connect, obviously. I think as well, because we're fully completed video views, that's been, it has been a big part. Like we are, and we're opt-in. We are 100% opt-in. So the mindset of the person who is consuming the brand message is they know what they're there for and they get it and they recognise that this brand is also trying to do good and, you know, divert money to climate solutions and causes that matter. So I definitely think that has helped um, and the, the industry have been very supportive because of that. And I guess for those who haven't been on the app, um, a short description would be it, the interface to me sort of seems like a little bit of a mix between a TikTok feed and an Instagram Reels feed. And you have, um, is it the eight minutes of inspiration per day? Have I yep. got that term right? Yeah. Um, so our social media feed is called the eight stage. And that is where you see you know all of the content. The first sort of eight minutes or so every day is curated by us. And that is where we effectively curate the best of the best that we're seeing on the platform uploaded from around the world from verified creators. Um, and then the second part of it is the bit that enables you to opt in to watch the advertising experience. So it's what I do love is that the advertising doesn't interrupt your social feed. Um, and when you go there, you're 100% opt in engaged. And then once you've done that, you get your little micropayments in your eight wallet. And that's when you can start to pay that forward to causes that matter. The thing that we're, the other thing that we're really excited about, um, which will launch in our, uh, our app store release that's imminent, is our friends feed. And that is exactly what people are telling us they want. You know, it's, it's been well written about that people are frustrated with social media, that they went there to connect with family and friends. And that that experience is now entirely interrupted as you get served up content from an algorithm and you get advertising within the feed. So we have created a dedicated friends feed where it'll only be the people that you have, you know, have um, have as your friends in the feed. So you will literally get yeah. a clean feed of just all of your friends. No ads. No algorithms interrupting you with other content, literally friends. So I, I'm interested on, on that front because I was actually, I, I was going to ask you about that with the intention of whether or not the aim of this was for users to see, I guess, some of those higher creators and the curated feed that you're presenting there. Is there, I guess, in theory, a way that users could then go on the app and not view ads at all? hundred percent. If you want to go on to We Are 8 and you want to use it as a way to connect with your friends and family and you wanted to see you liked our content and you wanted to be able to see that, you don't have to opt in to any ads. Yeah. 96%, 97% of the people that are on the platform are opting in because once they get there, they realize that that's how they get to feel good. And what, what sort of happens is on day one, you join the platform. On day two, you get served your first ad. On day 30, you get your first little micropayment in your eight wallet. And then yeah. every day after that that you've watched ads, you get more micropayments. And at that point, you can start to pay it forward to charity to a charity of your choice from you know one of our impact partners. And that's the bit where you start to feel yeah. good. And then by the end of the month, you might have donated a dollar or $2 to one of the causes that you care about and you feel really good about it. 
So in terms of testing for the app in the early stages, what was there sort of, uh, I guess, what were the studies coming back and the evidence showing you that people prefer that uninterrupted experience and maybe do they respond better when they know or expect ads to be given put in front of them? It helped. It came back um, as helping us build trust actually with them as well and feeling valued and having um, a, a, a higher quality of relationship with them actually is what sort of the behavioural studies that um, were done originally around the product. Um, and I think that that certainly holds true in, in what we're seeing about how people feel about the platform when they're on it um, and they recognise that, you know, the, the, the reality is though to, to have the investment to build a product like this, you do have to have commercials there. Yeah. Um, and so and I think people also recognise that as well. In terms of users themselves, what's the? Are you able to give us an indication of what the sort of uptake has looked like since the app has launched so far in Australia? So we're aiming to get to a hundred thousand by the end of November, yeah. and we are pacing to be there or thereabouts, and we're aiming to be at a million globally, which is really the UK and Australia to start with by the end of December. Yeah. So, and we're pacing to there or thereabouts. Um, and then from there, the you know, obviously growth from there. And I guess in terms of the content, is there any differentiation in terms of the market that you're in? I noticed when I used the app, I, I did get content feeded in from the UK. Yeah, 100%. So it's a global feed um, mixed in. Um, I'm very happy to see that at the moment Australia is dishing up some awesome content, probably not surprising. We've got a beautiful mm -hmm. country um, and I think lots of the creators that we're talking to are jumping on board because of that. Um, but, yeah, you, we absolutely want to be the world stage for the people, you know, and bring people to a world stage where they can share their voice um, and their life globally. Um, so you will see more countries come on board and get that content as well. The great thing is if you don't want to see that, you can just go into your friend's feed and see exactly that. Um, so interested to hear, um, I guess, from 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 your perspective, what the, the process is in, get, in getting people um, onto the app and kind of translating a, a big part of what the app is about ethics into um, getting a boatload of Aussies to sign up, I guess. Um, mm. what, what's what's that been like? And I guess, um, on the other hand, for those who don't share those same ethics, is there something on the platform for them also? Probably not. Um, to answer <laughs> the second question first, um, you know, I think if you're not values and mission aligned to us, that's okay. Just don't yeah. come to the platform because that's what we're here to do. We are here to be different. Um, and to your first question, you know, Australians are spending on average 90 minutes a day on social media. We are sim we are not saying that you have to give that up and you have to give the others up. Uh, if you want to, you know, dance on TikTok, tweet on Twitter, hang out in the metaverse with Facebook or Instagram, that's all fine. But just come to us for eight minutes a day and in that time you can make a difference. So that's really what we're appealing to is, you know, you're spending all this time doom scrolling actually overhear something a little more positive it's got a happy vibe it's full of sunshine and light um but also real situations you know when you know it's not all unicorns and rainbows yeah um we are here to kind of give a voice um, and a platform for causes that matter um but just do it in a in a way that is respectful and that is interesting and that is educational and that people can learn something as well 
Do you think, um, I guess, in terms of the, the size of market that we're in, that um, there are enough people that are going to want to, I guess, um, devote that proportion of their time towards this new app in terms of, I guess, going along the lines of what you're talking about? Yeah. Interesting question, Callum. Look, I genuinely think there are. I mean, we've dedicated our marketing efforts at the moment into Metro Sydney and Melbourne, which is yeah. purely a, a, you know, an economics play. Um, but if I look at the size of the potential in those markets alone and then consider what will happen in southeast Queensland, regional Australia now, you know, the other capital cities, I absolutely think that, you know, of the 26 million Aussies currently on social media, will at least 10% of them adopt us and put us in their repertoire? 100%. Yeah. I don't doubt that at all. I think the feeling that you get once you start to see what's happening with, with making impact is really motivating for people. And then I guess the same, the same question um, I would kind of shift over there to your brand partners. Um, we yeah. saw the first big announcement had some of the biggest names in Australian, uh, in the Australian economy, most recognisable ones, including Suncorp, um, Virgin Australia, Coles, Telstra. Those are brands that you also would associate with being for purpose, in particular um, sustainability. Um, would you say a similar notion would apply there? It's obviously not going to be an appeal for everyone, but where it is, there's yep. a chance to do something yeah, absolutely. Look, I think um, there are absolutely brands that are really far progressed on their sustainability journey um, and have stories to tell in that space. There are brands that are only starting out um, and there are brands that aren't right for us, like fossil, fossil fuels and gambling yeah. and so on. Um, and I think what's interesting is the brands that are just starting out are the ones um, that we're trying to encourage to tell their story because if we don't all start moving in the right direction, we're going to continue to get nowhere. Yeah. So that you've got, you know, you're really sort of advanced um, forward thinking companies that are really well progressed, but then we're also, I think a comfortable space for brands that just want to start telling their story and what they're doing. Um, and we're definitely seeing that. And to your point, great uptake from brands initially and that continues. Um, we've got lots of new campaigns coming onto the platform in the coming months, sort of for this last quarter of the year. So I think that will continue. And to, I guess, return to something you, you spoke about at the very start, in the UK, you've got sort of the face um, in in Rio Ferdinand, who's also a financial investor in the project. Um, locally, the recent marketing campaign has included the, the Changemakers, which has seen um, quite a few recognisable faces in, um, in Australian society, including Adam Goods. Um, will there be any plans for, I guess, an expansion of that? Uh, any sort of similar um, sort of profiles to Rio Ferdinand over here joining up? Yeah, so the answer to that is yes. Can't tell you who just yet. Uh, another couple of weeks away, um, probably to line up with what we're going to do during summer. And we'll have some more exciting change makers um, joining the eight family. Yeah. Um, and what's just been so great is there are so many Australians doing great stuff in this space and really wide ranging. 
um, all of whom are so open to the conversation and open to hearing about what we're doing and talking about how they can get involved. So that's been really exciting. Um, and it makes you realise there's just so much so much goodness that you don't yeah. necessarily have a platform to hear about and now we're finding out about all these things. Um, so it's really exciting. And just, just finally for you, Lizzie, um, obviously for a, for a social media company that is based around ethics, there's the tricky question of how you're going to handle um, users' privacy. Um, would you be able to just talk us through, I guess, the approach there? Because, you know, I assume uh, you will be um, pulling our data in one way or another. What will be the, the plan with using that? Yeah. So we, um, we have a very plain English privacy policy on our website. Um, for each market that we operate in, um, we do ask for one thing that's different is we ask for your mobile phone number at sign up, mm -hmm. um, which helps us keep the platform safe. So that plays to our zero tolerance of hate. And it also plays to the fact that we need people to link their PayPal account for their micropayments, et cetera. So we do ask for more and therefore we have written a very plain English policy. We will not on sell it. You will it'll be used for brands to retarget. So when you are on the platform and you watch ads, there is questions and um, we gather information from you around your thoughts on the brands as well. So we've got your personal data and we've got your likes and interests and we've got your thoughts and comments um, on brands that you've um, watched on the platform and we would use that on our own platform for retargeting purposes for brands subsequent to that. But that... Um, other than that, the strictest of ethics and policies in relation to it. And look, we're, you know, our entire process has been audited by PwC, always on. We're a B Corp certified, so we are held to the yeah. highest standards of ethics because of that certification. Um, so I, I feel like we are, we are being the good corporate citizens that you know we want to be and striving to be and really want to deliver that to a consumer so that they can feel like um, how we handle their data and what we do with it is safe and secure and exactly as they understand it to be. Well, I look forward to seeing the platform uh, grow over the coming months and years, Lizzie, and thanks for joining me all the way from London. Awesome. Thanks, Callum. Nice to chat. Cheers. That is it for this week. Uh, if you're not already, please make sure to subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. If you like what you're hearing, please do leave us a review. Again, you can catch Tuesday's special episode with Paramount in your feed. But for now, Banksy and Emma, thank you for joining me. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot. And thanks again to Gabrielle and Lizzie too. See you.